Amen. I appreciate them putting that little video together. That's a good summary of what I'm going to be talking about today. I'm going to draw us back. I've entitled the message today, The Heart of the Matter. The Heart of the Matter. And I'm going to draw us back to the fundamentals of who we are as a church. So I want to get to the heart of who we really are as a church. And uh, we're foregoing the series on Mark today. And this is kind of an outreach mission-oriented concept that I want to kind of develop in this sermon today. And so I'm glad that you're here today. As you may have come in, you got one of those little magnets given to you. That's kind of a constant reminder. You can put that on your car, your fridge, wherever. But what we want to do is we want to continue to remind you of those little four quadrants at the top of the cross. We designed that purposely. We kind of did a redesign here recently. But we designed those purposely to represent the four quadrants of what we're about. You heard them. Worship, connect, serve, and reach. And everything we do has to come back to that. And so I want to challenge us again in that process as we gather today around God's Word. So I want you to take your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to begin in verse 42, and then I'm going to have you flip over to Joshua chapter 1, and I'm going to read a few verses in Joshua chapter 1. All right, let's stand together. I'm going to read verses 42 to 47. follow along now as I read. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as many as anyone might have need, day by day continuing in one mind in the temple. And breaking the bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord was added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Over to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. I'm not going to read lengthy here, but I want you to hear a few key verses. Joshua chapter 1, verse 3. This is the theme verse of the book of Joshua. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you. Drop over to chapter 3, verse 14, or 13. We'll do 13. Notice the theme developed then through the book of Joshua. It shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan, and the waters of the Jordan will be cut off, and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. Verse 15, and when those who carried the ark came into the Jordan and the feet of the priests carrying the ark were dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all of its banks all the days of harvest, the waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap. I'm going to stop there with the reading of God's word. You may be seated. I've got two things to cover in this message today. First of all, I want to start with a little about how we got where we are today. So I want to tell you our story, our story. It's good to go back and look into the past and hear the story again. I'm going to tell you that story. And then I want to emphasize again our strategy. Worship, connect, serve, reach. And I want to challenge you to those ends as we look into this. When I came 25 years ago, there was about 150 people attending Triad Baptist Church. Many of you don't know this, but some of you do know this who were here back then. It was called the Church in the Woods. 
The reason it was called the church in the woods is because this entire facility was covered by woods except for a little cutout at the front where the original building was. And that's all that existed back then. There were trees on the other side. There was Kmart, but there was no Walmart. There was none of those buildings over there. There wasn't any buildings down here. It was all woods. So we were known back then as the church in the woods. The second thing I want you to understand is back then that uh, when I came to the first week of this job, and in my first week, Phil Willis called me. Phil's been with us since I've been here. And Phil called me and said, I just want you to know uh, we are paying interest only on our loan because we can't afford to pay the payment on our building. Thank you for letting me know that after I took the church. <laughs> I appreciate that. And so that was the first thing. And so I knew the church was in trouble. They had financial issues, and they had some other issues going on at the time. And so I did what I only knew to do. I prepared my heart to seek God. I prayed. I fasted one to two days a week. And I got into the Word of God, and I praised. I did all the things I knew to do that the Word of God teaches. And so that's where I committed myself to do that. And so I promised the deacons at that time I would do that for six months, and I believed that God would direct me to know his will. So I spent time in the Word, fasting, prayer, six months. Then I was going to come to the deacons and tell them where I felt like we needed to go and what we needed to do. I sought God with two things that I learned in my life at the age of 38. One was knowledge and one was instinct. Knowledge and instinct about what to do. These two are important, but I want to say this very carefully. God said, they're important, but not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. God has spent his work in my life literally tearing apart my confidence in the flesh and knowing that if I didn't seek him, it was all in vain. I went to a safari a few years ago in South Africa that blew my mind. It was one of the greatest experiences I had. Three of us, Daryl, our missionary in Mozambique, we were in South Africa at Pillensburg Safari, and Jason, our missions director here, and we all sat down and got our own little safari jeep with one safari director. It was a girl, and she led us through the re reservation there where all these animals were. She told us on the mic, there's just three of us sitting in the safari jeep. She told us on the mic that she was going to try to get us to see the big five, the big five. Now, to see the big five is an amazing thing, okay? You got the rhino, you got the hippo, you got the lion, you got the cheetah, or some people call it the leopard, and uh, you got the elephant. If you see those five on a safari You've had an, a wonderful safari because you'll see everything else. You'll see the wildebeest getting eaten by other animals, and that's quite a, a scene to see. You'll see the giraffe. You'll see all those things. But to see the big five is an amazing thing. We were there 15 minutes in Pillensburg at the reserve, and within 15 minutes, a huge elephant walking across the way, a massive elephant, came up and walked alongside of our safari jeep. I was so excited. Now, one thing she said is, on her mic, she said, do not reach your hands out or your arms out of the Jeep. Now for me that's really hard because when you say something like that, that's what I feel like I need to do. It's a crazy thing, isn't it? A little bit flesh in me there. And so uh, that elephant came and started walking along. We were on the safari Jeep. I think he's already showed you the picture. And this elephant got right 
within, I, I took this picture so it doesn't do justice because I was within two to three feet of that elephant. I could reach out my hand and I could touch that elephant. I was sitting in the back so she couldn't see what I was intending to do. I was all the way back in the safari and Jason was in the middle and Daryl was up in front being a good boy up there. And so I was in the back, but I could see her beady little eyes in the rearview mirror. She got on the mic again and she said, let me remind you that the trunk of an elephant can turn over a safari jeep. I guess that was my hint, don't you dare reach out and touch. But everything inside of me, everything wanted to, well, how many chances do you get in life to touch the hide of an elephant? And I wanted to touch that elephant so bad, man and beast right there together. But I didn't, I, re, I, I didn't want to do it. I did not want to see us turned over. And so I, 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 we went on and we were able to see some incredible things. We had elephant, uh, what did we have? We ate zebra meat, we ate crocodile meat, we ate antelope meat, we ate impala, we had giraffe. It's incredible what you can eat in South Africa. It kind of tastes like wild chicken, wild chicken. That's what it's like, okay? So on this experience, my mind went back to this movie I saw uh, not too long before that. It was a black and white kind of 50s, 60s movie where um, these, this couple, this Hollywood couple, was going to South Africa to, to do an elephant hunt. And when they were going to do that elephant hunt, they took with them a driver in the safari jeep, they took a zoologist, and they took a Zulu chieftain. And so they headed out into the reserve to hunt down and kill the elephant. Now, one thing that's amazing about that movie, I can't even remember the name of the movie, but the zoologist knew everything about the elephant. And so while they're on this journey, the, the, the zoologist is telling them everything he knows about the elephant. On and on he goes about the elephant. They would see feces on the trail, and they would get out of the jeep, and the zoologist would tell them, from that feces, I can tell that it is a male elephant, and it could tell how close it was from the distance of the feces to where the elephant was. And so they're hunting this, and on and on he goes. He could tell them about the mating practices of the elephant. He could tell them about how the elephant drinks water and how the elephant conserves water within his system. And on and on he would go. And after a while watching the show, you realize there's one thing the zoologist couldn't do. He couldn't find them. He could not find the elephant. It was elusive to them. And so this zoologist who knew all this knowledge, all this intellect, he couldn't find the elephant. Oh, he could explain it but he couldn't find it. A long time into the safari, the Zulu captain who never, the Zulu chieftain, who never said a word during the whole safari thing was at the back of the jeep, standing up with his rifle on his back, and all of a sudden he said, stop the jeep! And he clapped his hands like that, and the jeep stopped. He stood up in his place, he went like this, The elephant is over there. The elephant is over there. And sure enough, what the zoologist could not find, the Zulu chieftain found. And I realized that that moment in time when I was watching that movie, I was between two incredible concepts, intellect and instinct. Intellect and instinct. 
Intellect can explain it all day long, but instinct can find it. Instinct can find it. People with intellect can teach it. They got degrees. They've been trying to explain something, but they can't find it. You get frustrated if all you have is intellect. You went to school to make you successful, but there's a difference between explaining an elephant and finding an elephant. Thank God for intellect, and I would tell you, get all the intellect you can because it allows you to explain a lot of things in life. But you have to dig deeper, and you have to get instinct that finds it. Now, I told you those elephant stories because I want you to know I realized the most amazing things that have happened in my life came because of a collaborative effort of intellect, instinct, and seeking God. The people in the world, intellect and instinct, but not us. If we're ever going to accomplish something in an incredible, eternal way, you're going to have to have a heart in you to seek God. Intellect loads the gun. Instinct pulls the trigger. But God gives the increase. God gives the increase. There is something in us that must learn to wait on the Lord. Gun instinct will help you to understand how to use intelligence in a situation, but except the Lord build the house, they that labor, labor in vain. That's what I have learned in the 25 years that I've served here as your pastor. One of the greatest, one of the greatest things studying back then in the first six months of this church came out of the book of Joshua. God told Joshua and the people, go in and possess the land. Go in and possess the land. Now listen, I'm going to tell you something. If you're 20 years old or you're 25 years old, I could put you 20 years past your age if you'll listen to what I'm going to say. I can put you 20 years past your age. Listen to this. He told them to possess the land, not money, but land. Most of you in your 20s want to possess money. That's what you're after, money. But the truth of the matter is, the Federal Reserve is printing money right now as I speak. They got a debt ceiling, and the answer is only going to be Republican, Democrat, print more money. And in printing more money, you devalue and you debase the currency, and that's why you see things like inflation. It's not just our government, it's any government since the Chinese incre uh, uh, created the concept of paper money. And that goes back thousands and thousands of years. And so that is always going to be around. But let me say this to you so you miss this, okay? It wasn't money, Jesus or God said, but land. They ain't making no more land. You can make money all day long, but you can't make no more land. Well-bought land is absolute and completely irreplaceable. That could put you 20 years past your life if you ever grasped that. It was a great lesson. And at the end of the six months that I sought God and prayed and fasted, I just want you to know that at the end of it, the one thing that stuck out in my head as the pastor of this church, when we were in debt, paying only on our interest was 
we'd buy more land. We'd buy more land. And so at that particular time when that concept came to my mind and I began to study and read, I was reading and certain things God was directing my heart, that was sticking out in my mind when I started here. We'd buy more land. And so that's exactly what I did. I called up one of the deacons. I said, get me a plat of the South Main District of Kernersville, and I want to know every available piece of property left in this region, because at that time, Walmart was just coming in, Lowe's was going to soon develop their land, and uh, all those other things were going to leave, and so this is probably one of my most favorite archives that I have from the church. I want to show it to you back then. The deacon drew me up this little plat and said, Rob, you got a great idea, but we don't have the money. We don't have the money. And so he showed me that the only left available commercial piece of property in the South Main District was connected to our property. So I took the deacon and I said, come with me. I said, take that plat. I don't know how to read plats. I don't even know how to follow land charts. And so I said to him, we're going to walk that land. It's 18 acres. He said, you got a good idea but we just can't afford land. And so I was thinking in Joshua chapter 1, every place that the sole of your feet treads, I'm just a simple person. I was just a simple 38-year-old kid, and I knew that I was going to take God at his word. That was written specifically to Joshua. It wasn't written specifically to me, but I took it to heart, and I started walking that land with that deacon, and we walked around that land, and I was thinking in my head, everywhere that the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you. It's yours, Joshua. It's yours, Joshua, but you've got to take it. I've given it to you, but you've got to take it. Now, back then, they took it by swords and spears and rocks, and they took it by fighting. We don't fight the same kind of battle. We take it by the word. We take it by prayer, we take it by fasting, we take it by giving, we take it by praising, we take it by those things. Because if you follow in the word of God for those 18 acres, that's the way I think you're going to get them. And so I began to seek God for those six months. I came back, I told the deacons, I think we ought to buy that land, even with the $186,000 we were in debt at the time. And we ought to go to over half a million in debt. I laid it out, I said, here is what we got to do. Everywhere the sole of your foot goes. And the deacons agreed with me. We took it to the church. The church voted it. We bought those eight, 18 acres of land. We needed 5.5 acres of land later down the road. And um, I was thinking again, Ken Prater had cleared off all this land for us when we started our renovations and our buildings that we had done in that meantime. And I said, Ken, I saw him on his little tractor out there. And I said, hey, See that 5.5 acres? I've been trying to get that. It's owned by Aegis Hospital, Baptist Hospital, and they won't sell it. And I said, but walk me over that land. I said, I want you to go with me, Ken. Because I believe every place that the sole of your foot treads, God shall give it to you. And so I walked that land with Ken Prater. 
I don't know how we're going to get it. I talked to Don Flo. Don Flo was the executive administrator for Aegis. Was, he was the chair of the board selling the properties, and he kept telling me, no, we don't want to sell it. I said, you're faith-friendly. He said, we don't want to sell it. I said, we're a nonprofit. We can give you a tax write-off. He said, we're a nonprofit. We got a tax write-off. And so I just hit everything against Don Flo, and I couldn't get anywhere with it. And so I said to myself, I don't know how we're going to do it, but I know one thing I'm going to do. I'm going to walk that land, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to seek God. And I walked that land, and we prayed. And then lo and behold, Novant Forsyth built their hospital in Kernersville. Veterans Hospital built their hospital, and I got a call hey, we're interested in selling that land because we're going to put a prime care there, but we can't put a hospital there or a prime care. And we need a hospital to feed into the main hospital at Baptist Hospital. We can't compete with Forsyth and we can't compete with the Veterans Hospital if we don't have a feeder from Kernersville. And so they couldn't get land at that time, so they bought one out in Davie and built their hospital out there to feed into Baptist Hospital. I said, we'll buy that land. Talked to the deacons. I said, this is what I think we ought to do. Some of the deacons helped negotiate that deal. And we walked that land and we began to say, I believe God's going to give us that land. We needed that land for the infrastructure to build this building we're sitting in right now because otherwise we couldn't have done it. And so I just, I just took a simple look at the word of God. And I said, God, I'm just going to do that. And then 92 acres came available back there where the farmer died and all his kids who lived in Charlotte wanted some fast money and they called me up and they said, we'll give you 1.8, we'll sell that land to you for 1.8 million. I took four or five deacons and I said, show me the land, show me the land. And so uh, four or five deacons walked me out there on the land. I said, I want to put my foot everywhere I can. And so it was 92 acres. That, wasn't, that, was a short, that was a long day for me. And we walked that land, and we kept walking that land, and I kept saying to myself, everywhere that the sole of your foot shall tread, I have given you. It's yours, Rob, but you've got to take it. It's yours, but you've got to take it. And so I began to seek God for that. And I began to say, God, how are we going to do that? We negotiated the price. They needed some fast money at that time. And so they negotiated the price. I think we paid a little over $1.3 million for that piece of land. And I began to see God work in the land that we were purchasing. And the vision of Dry Baptist Church began to grow out of just a simple concept of we'd buy more land. Now, it's an amazing thing. I think with all my heart that God wants you to be excited about your destiny. And I believe just like he said to them back then, every place that the sole of your foot treads, and then in chapter 3 where the Bible says where the, the foot of the priest touched the water of the Jordan and the Jordan opened wide. Sometimes when you try to walk with God, you've got to get your feet wet. You've got to have the faith before you see the vision. You've got to have the faith to step out and say, this is where we're going to go. This is what we need to do. And that's exactly what I did through that. You see that constantly. You, you've got to have a vision of the promise because otherwise if you don't have a vision of the promise, you'll get discouraged in the process. And the process is what discourages you as you go along, all the obstacles you face, all the things there. But if you got your sights on the destination, if you got your sight and you're excited about the destination, you can get through the process and you won't get discouraged. And that's what I found in my life is that this process of continuing to seek God, the process of continuing to pray, the process of continuing to put my feet in some places 
just out of curiosity, when I was looking at some of your faces, y'all got any land you want to sell? Because sometimes we do get discouraged. Sometimes we're walking around those walls. Remember, he told them at Jericho to walk, to put the soles of your feet around the walls of Jericho. Now they got the enemy right on the other side. And God said, you just keep walking. You just keep walking. Everywhere that the sole of your foot shall tread, I have given it to you. Everywhere that the sole of your foot shall tread, I have given it to you. And that's exactly what they did. And sometimes in your life when you get discouraged, that's what you have to do. You have to come back to faith. You haven't seen the walls come down yet, but in faith you say, I believe that everywhere at the sole of my foot shall tread, I have given it to you. And that's exactly what I did as a young pastor. That's exactly what I've done over these 25 years, okay? I have basically stepped back and said, okay, God, man, I'm tired, but I'm going to keep walking around these walls. Man, I'm, I'm discouraged. I'm just going to keep walking around these walls. I'm frustrated, God, but I'm just going to keep walking around these walls. God, I, my credit's jacked. We're at the max, but I'm just going to keep walking around these walls. And over and over and over, God said, when you get to the end of that walk, and I want you to shout. That word shout in the Hebrew is a word which means to praise. It comes from a root word, praise, yadar, to praise. God said, I want you to praise me before the wall comes down. I want you to believe me before I take down the enemy, before I pull that wall down. You just praise me. And that, that's just kind of crazy thinking when you think about it. It's crazy to walk around the wall and shout as if it's already come down. But that's the kind of faith God wants you to have. That's the kind of faith God wants us to have as a church. Now, ultimately, our strategy is not buy more land. That was just one strategy within the bigger strategy of what the Bible says to do. And what the Bible says to do are those four things. That's why I read those in Acts chapter 2. And that's how I've lived my life here. That's how many of us have lived our life here. We're going to do four things in our life. And I want to take just a brief moment to describe those for you because they're the center of what we're about. The Bible says in the early church they continued steadfastly in these things. They were committed to these things. They weren't haphazard. They weren't uh, in, in like a half-hearted religious experiment, doing it with a shrug, okay, I guess I'll help out. No, they were continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in the teaching of the word, in the fellowship, in the breaking of bread, in the prayer, and in awe of God, all those things. There was something inside of them that's inside of me, an internal passion, an internal passion to do those four things, God. I want to worship, I want to connect, I want to serve, and I want to reach, and I want our people to do that, God. That's what I pray all the time that is in my prayer life, God. That's why we've got the four quadrants to remind you on that little magnet and other things that we're going to have available too that just remind us in those four quadrants. We've got to be about that we got to be about that. What's the first one? Worship. Worship. The word literally means in the Hebrew and in the Greek, the act of bowing down. There's something powerful about that. The root word means to prostrate oneself before a king and kiss his feet. How many people in the Bible have kissed the feet of Jesus? 
kiss his feet. That's a beautiful expression of what it means to worship. To attribute to God supreme worth over everything else of the one who is worthy of it. To turn full attention to him. To turn full attention to him. Who he is and what he did for us. That is, I'm telling you, in my life that is one of the most deeply satisfying things I experience in this world. Is to worship God. Whether I'm with you corporately or whether I'm alone. But, but, but a sense of worshiping him is the deepest satisfaction I know. It helps to do that. It helps to just bow yourself down before him. Because there's something about that that you're recognizing him for who he is. And as long as you start to realize you're not the one in charge, you'll begin to worship the one who is in charge. And when you worship the one who is in charge, some internally inside of you just relaxes. You're stressed out because you really haven't entered into worship. And, and you want that to relax because he's the boss. And you recognize he's the boss. You don't have to bear the brunt of what's going on in your life. He does. He does. That's, that's, that's at the core of worship, okay? That's worship. It's enough said there, okay? Uh, well, let me just say a couple of things about that. I do want to mention this. The word, prayer, song, the Lord's Supper, baptism, and even giving are all part of what they did in the worship aspect. So that's why we do all those things in these services. Prayer. Prayer, we got to really, we got to beef that one up. You know, before COVID, we had regularly people praying in the prayer room during both services. Right now, we only have people praying in the 9 o'clock service during the service. Because after COVID, it just kind of drifted away, and there's very few people that pray now during a service. But we need some 1030 people. Even if you only gave 15 minutes of your time during Sunday school or doing a service to, to give to prayer, or 30 minutes, or an hour if you're willing. There's some that pray an hour during this time. And we haven't had anybody at the, at the 1030 time in quite a while. We need that. We need prayer. I'm just kind of throwing that out there as a plug that, that if you would get interested in that and, and just let us know, man, the power of that, the power of that. Spurgeon, when he preached at 400 people in the boiler room below where he preached, praying while he preached and while they sang, it's powerful. To think about, okay, that, that's enough said there. Connect, connect. That's the word fellowshipping with one another. They were living out the word with one another in koinonia is the Greek word. You've heard that a lot of times. Koinonia. It's what we hope happens in your Sunday school group. It's what we hope happens in your connect group. It's what we hope happens in your life here. That there's an honest, open, and vulnerable life with others. That you're struggling and you have some pain and, and you need to share that with some. Sometimes it's better... It's good to go to God with that, but it's also good to have some real people around you to talk to their face directly to them and open up and be vulnerable. That's, that's a powerful thing. That's koinonia. Now, why can't you do that? Because you don't trust anybody. You don't trust anybody. You've been taught through your life when you get blown and hurt by people, don't trust them. But then, you know, what happens is you don't have a safe place. You don't have a safe place. We want triad to be a safe place. Somebody said this this week, and I liked it. People are hurting more than we know and more than they ever show. 
and you have more to offer than they ever know and more than you ever show. I like that. I like that because that's at the heart. That's at the heart of koinonia, this fellowshipping with one another and building our lives together. Okay, number three, serve. This is the outworking of your partnership, your partnership with God and your partnership with people in a covenant at a church like this, okay, where you're serving one another, you're on a ministry team, you're doing something that counts for eternity, you're giving to one another. The Bible says they did it as every man had need. They were literally, they were in a famine and they were also under persecution. And so they were pulling their resources together to help one another out in the early church. I guess the best place I like to go all the time for that is Luke chapter 5, because a lot of times you miss the word there. But Peter, Jesus said, cast your net out, and he caught a great draught of fish. And he realized his nets were beginning to break. And as his nets were beginning to break, the Bible says he beckoned. That's a King James word. He called out. He beckoned to his partners. That's the word for koinonia. You just don't see it when you read it in the English. You see the word partner. He called out for his partners. But really, it's the word koinonia, to fellowship. He had his partners in place. Why? You can't bring it in by yourself sometimes. You can't bring it in by yourself sometimes. Peter may not have had all of his nets ready because they started to break, but Peter did one thing right. He had his partners ready. He had his koinonia ready. Do you have your partners ready? See, when the nets break, it's too late to go out and find your partners. You're too late now. Your net's already broken. If you don't have your partners, if he didn't have his partners, he'd have lost his fish. He'd have lost the blessing that God gave him, a God-given blessing, and he'd have lost it because he had no koinonia, because he would have had no partners. Okay, so look around you. Who are your partners? Who are your partners? Who are your koinonia in this church? You need some people in your life who can carry the weight when the weight gets heavy for you. The weight gets heavy for you. The potency is in your partner. People say to me all the time, we love you, Pastor Rob. I'm glad you love me, but loving me won't bring the fish in. It's not going to bring the fish in. I need you to bring the fish in. I need some net pullers, net thrusters. I need some people that are going to come alongside and say, hey, we're going to take the weight, the pressure off, and we're going to help. I don't need fish eaters. Everybody likes to eat fish, but I don't need any fish eaters. I need fish catchers. Now, I said in the last service, I hate to tell you this, but I really don't hate to tell you this, but Jesus didn't carry any of the fish. He didn't carry any of the fish in. He blessed them, gave a miraculous draught, but he sat there and he watched them get the fish, which strikes me that God will bless you with something that he will not carry. God will bless you with something that he will not carry. He's looking for partners that will come together and carry the weight. That's why I see us as a team. That's why I like the word team. And then number four then, as I close this out, is reach, reach. We have over 20-some ministry outreaches in our church 
And every outreach ministry started here with a member, not a staffer. Not a staffer. That's important to say. The daycare. Someone came to me and said, let's start a daycare. I'll run it. I said to the lady, "Mm, I don't know if I want to have a daycare. She said, if you start a daycare, you will see people come to Christ through our daycare. I said, I'm interested in that. It was a $100,000 renovation to renovate the bottom level of the church, double drywall, the metal doors, the whole deal. We did it. First year, we were full. Second year, we said, okay, let's do another 100000 in the second floor, and we put a daycare on both those floors in the weekday. Why use a building only one time a week? If I could use this place 24-7, I would. So we did that. We, we filled it up on the first floor. We filled it up on the second. We have somewhere around 125 kids in our daycare, two to four years of age. We have some 382, or we'll have 382 next year with our school. And uh, I wasn't even interested in starting a daycare. But let me tell you what happened to me two weeks ago. Someone in my first step class who's going to be getting baptized at our next baptism came to me and said, the reason I came to this church, this fills my heart with pride. I know it. So the reason we came to this church is because of your daycare. I watched, he said, I watched the way those teenage girls and those moms loved on my kid. I couldn't see that back then, but now it's so clear. These moms and these young girls, the love on those kids is powerful. Christian school. I never wanted to start a Christian school. That wasn't in my heart. It wasn't in my, I promise you it wasn't in my heart because they say around town that if you want to put a curse on another pastor, just pray he starts a Christian school. That is relatively true because there are a lot of headaches with the Christian school. So my heart wasn't to do that, but I will say this. One in three visitors that came to our church came because of our Christian school last year. And many who joined came through the Christian school. Let me tell you how I think, okay? Here's how I think. I don't have a pet peeve here. Christian school's not my pet peeve or daycare's my pet peeve or upwards my pet peeve. My pet peeve is to figure out the river, the flow of God in the river. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna try to catch the current of the river. I'm just gonna go where God's blessing and that's where I wanna move. And if he's blessing in that, that's where I wanna move. If he's blessing this, this is where I wanna go. I wanna go anywhere that he's blessing. And so if you take the Christian school, for example, after COVID, parents were so upset with what they saw happening from their kids being at home to learn, from what they were being taught in the education system, that we had parents that don't even have a care, they don't even care about our Christian school, but they were going to pull their kid out of public education to put them in a private education because of what they saw with the Department of Education doing to their kids. They were furious. I can tell you 10 of them. They didn't have no desire to be saved. They don't have no desire for discipleship. They were just going to get them into an environment. It didn't matter whether it was tried or wherever it was, but even our growth rate right now is higher than it's ever been at this time of year for the following year. Now, thank God for you ladies that teach and some of you men that teach in public education and have as much influence as you can, but we're going to do everything we can from this side as well to try to reach them. Because what I've seen now over the last 15 years 16 years of our Christian school, is it, gone, it has gone from being disciple-oriented to evangelistic-oriented. And we got to shift. 
we got to shift because the flow's changing. And so, yes, are you going to see drugs here sometimes on our campus? Probably. Are you going to see kids get kicked out for sexual reasons? Yes. But I'm going where the flow's going, and we got to go to where they are. we got our problems, just like every other Christian school and every other public school has. But I'm saying to you, I'm going where the flow's going. I'm going where the movement is going. Go on with other things as well. I wish I had more time. Reaching in our mission, 75 missionaries and organizations across the world. Children's ministry. We don't even keep statistics on that, but that's probably higher in percentage. One in seven visitors come because of upward program. One in seven. One in three Christian school. That was last year. But I'll bet you if you looked at the children's church statistic, I bet it's a lot higher than that. I talked to Tim the other day. I said, are you ready to shift out of children's church work? Nope. He loves it. He loves it. He's going to be 80 years old chasing those kids around in the children's church. I mean, that's, that's what he wants to do with his life. I still don't get that, but that's who he is. We've got a solid student ministry. I think it's more solid uh, than it's ever been in a discipleship-oriented focus. Faithful Friends, Senior Ministry, special events and plays. Those special events these last two days were incredible. What a great spirit there was with that. Now, here's what I'm saying to you. Everything, everyone can't do everything, but everyone can do something. And I just want you to know, I'm following the flow. I'm trying to figure out where's God moving? Where's God working? What's God bringing to us? What are things we can capitalize on? That's part of the strategy, moving forward. But I guess the last thing I want to share is my heart with you on this is 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 5. And this is what God spoke to me about. David was not allowed to build the temple, and God said to him, you're a bloodthirsty man. You've had a lot of bloodshed. You can't build my temple. My house will be a house of peace. So you can't build it, David. David said, could I get the supplies ready for my son? God said, you can get the supplies ready for your son. So David put things in motion for the future for when he was gone. I'm 61 years old, okay? I'm running down. I know I'm running down because when it's 8 o'clock at night and I say to my wife, let's go to bed, she and I are both ready to go to bed. 8 o'clock at night. That's how you change. You just change. You just start slowing down and you start realizing, hey, i only got a few more years left. What am I going to do with those years? How am I going to make it count? My wife sees a glass half empty. I see a glass half full. We go around and round and round about this all the time. She'll see it half empty, and she says, do you think we'll have huge regrets when we get to heaven? I said, absolutely. So we started talking about the regrets we were going to have. Next thing you know, I'm depressed. <laughs> she sees it half empty. I see it half full. I said, let's talk about all the rewards we're going to get. Let's talk about those. And so I started naming those off, and she's crying over there thinking, but I'm not going to get as much. I said, are you kidding me? What you invested in your children? What you invested in the church. Let's keep our focus on that. Let's keep our focus on that. No, no, the glass is empty. I can't change her. I'm just going to live with her, okay? That's the way you got to do it, all right? But, but David put things in motion for the future when he was gone. What it taught me and what God's been speaking to me about is we should not live our lives only for ourselves and what we can do. But we got to make ample preparations. When 61, 
Okay, we've got to make ample preparations for the next generation. As a matter of fact, for the next generation, I want them to succeed and exceed everything we've done. I am thinking about that, and I'm thinking about that hard. I am thinking about the next gen, the next gen. I am now living and planning these last years in my transitional period of life for the next gen, for the next gen. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking, okay? To bless them, to help them be more successful in their life than I was in mine. That's my heart. And that's the heart of the matter. And I need you to be a part of that at every level. Let's pray. Just with their heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to challenge every member in here to think this through in their life. I want you worshiping. I want you connecting. I want you serving. And I want you reaching. And if you do that, (laughs) something inside of you will just rest and say, okay, you're the boss, God. I don't have to carry and bear this burden by myself. You're in charge. And that's where you start. And so I'm challenging you. There may be things in your life right now. I'm not telling you go out there and walk all over it with your feet. That was just my simple way of thinking through my life back then. I'll just give you an example of what I did, how simple my faith was. But I've watched God honor it. And it's been an absolute joy to invest in this church and you people. And I love it. And I love your service and I love your worship and I love your reach and I love your serve and I love your connect. And let's continue to strengthen that, not just for us, for the next gen, the next gen. If you have something on your heart today that needs to be brought to the altar, something that you need to pour out to God and say, God, I can't see my way clear. I'm just going to keep walking around this wall. I'm just going to keep walking around this wall. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're frustrated. Maybe you're broke. Just tell God, I'm I'm just going to keep walking around this wall. Everywhere that the soles of the foot tread. I have given it to you. Lord, I lift up this church. I lift up our future. I seek your blessing. I seek your face. I seek your ways. As best I know how. Understand your word. These are the things I said to your people. So I pray you take them, drive them home to the hearts of those that have been open for the spirit to move and to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Praise team's going to lead us in a closing song and worship. And if there's a need for you, the altar certainly is open at this time.